Good evening. This is your loyal host, William A. Wellman. In addition to creating Hello from the Hallowoods every week, I write novels, read horror stories, and tune in to the work of other podcasters in the horror fiction space today. Sometimes I invite them into my dimly lit parlor for an armchair conversation about horror. In this bonus episode, I sat down with Motsi Dapple to talk about standing at the intersection of Philippines folk horror and Toronto city life. This is the Skull Sessions High Nine. We are here with Motsi Dapple today. Motsi, when did you first know that you wanted to be a storyteller? Ooh, a storyteller. Um, I thought you were going to say podcaster. No, um, a storyteller. I must. I was very, very young. Um, I was definitely making art and write and book like books with art in them when I was like six to eight years old. Um, old papers that were like scratch papers, and then I would like bind them with a stapler. Um, so very early on, very, very early on, I knew. Um, I loved. I said eating. Um, I loved reading stories. I, I eat them. I love eating stories and I love making stories. So very, very early on in my life. I feel like the great storytellers of our time also eat a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're delicious. There's a constant process of like taking in stories that you enjoy and then picking them apart and finding things that you like about them and then turning it into your own thing and sending it back out to the world. It's also interesting that you mentioned podcaster as well because... In a way, many of the great people that would have been horror writers sending little issues out to magazines, like back in the 1800s or the 1900s, um, you know, now are getting to broadcast it vocally to like a, a tiny online audience instead. Um, so I'm, I'm always curious, how did you find your way into podcasting in particular? Because I think for many of us, we started out, you know, uh, doodling childhood stories and wanting to make something even though we didn't quite know what it was but how has that kind of carried through your life and how did you end up wanting to make a podcast of all Ooh, um so i'm an animator and this will relate um very heavily because um what people don't know is that animators do a lot of work where they want to listen to something while they're doing their work it's all a lot of visual work so they can free their mind to listen to things and podcasts are a very a big favorite. Um, now, many people who like podcasts assume that podcasters listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, not so for me. Um, I've listened to maybe like five <laughs> and um, all the way through. And but I, I, I the ones I have, I love them dearly. And what got us into podcasting was actually a specific show, um, which we've talked about before. Uh, we were very inspired by the Magnus Archives. Um, I think that was the one that made us realize that we could make a podcast, particularly because it is so brilliantly, I won't say low quality in sound, but like it's so, it, it, it like plays with something where it broke down the barrier of you need really, really, really high quality, high budget sound to make a show it kind of like um it it took that idea and was like no you could just put a telephone um (laughs) telephone filter and uh record under a duvet and it'll be fine and also i just love horror so 
during the pandemic, especially because it was a really tough time for everybody. Um, for me in particular, it was very tough because I was supposed to go see family after two years in immigration and then another three years I couldn't see them. So five whole years away from family. So the Bangus Archives is a really big way for me to kind of have something that got me through the day, all 200 episodes. <laughs> so, um, and I wanted to make something similar. Like I wanted to take the very um, simple yet brilliant storytelling device and kind of have a story that related more to what I knew, um, how I felt like as a person of color, as an immigrant, as a Filipina, and kind of put that into a story. So um, I will always bang the drum of, you know, Magnus Archives was our inspiration, and now we're part of the Rusty Quill Network, and that's kind of a big deal, and it's crazy, but um, that's kind of how we got into it. Um, so for a lot of people who love podcasting in general, I don't know it. I did not know anything about podcasting when I started, and look at me now. <laughs> Now, you mentioned that you work in animation, so there's at least a part of you that is engaged in telling a story through the visuals. Mm -hmm. Has it been difficult in any way to go to telling a story with no visuals at all? It's not difficult for the podcast itself. It's difficult for me to... Um, because I think a lot of what's fun about being in, you know, enjoying a podcast is, you know, your own interpretations of characters. I have made, um, for at least the first or first one and a half years of Hainai, we were very much like, oh, we're not going to have any visual, in, you know, visuals of the characters. We'll just let people interpret them. And then halfway through, I like gave up and I was like, actually, I have I have drawings. <laughs> I want to show them of my little, uh, of my uh, my beautiful babies um, and I wanted to like show them off and I am friends with a lot of artists so whenever they have their commissions open I would commission them uh, art of high night characters and then I would be like yeah I'll use this as sort of just to on social media get people's attention and then um, that's kind of how high night has been uh, so not difficult for the podcast difficult for me as a person um, to stop just drawing and doing art and getting pe and paying people to do art and just showing off like look at my beautiful people <laughs> I'm always intrigued as well because some shows do choose to put out like hey this is like our canon more or less appearance for this character this is their like character model um, and then other shows are like well it exists only in the mind see it could be anything that you want it to be as long as you can imagine it so you know we wouldn't put labels on such things um have you found it's changed the reaction of your audience at all or changed the way they uh engage with the story at all to uh have put out some beautiful arts of you know how you picture these characters um before? a little bit like i i do think that we got like and i think it's just a matter of how we presented it like i think in the first week or month of Hainai, we got a lot of like fan art of the main character, which is really lovely. And ever since we revealed the appearances of the characters, it's there's less, but I don't know if that's just because, um, you know, there's a big spike of people interested at the beginning. You know, there's always like that sort of, you have to ride that, but you have to just keep being consistent also, because um, I just want to add like one of the things that I want to emphasize for Hainai um, 
that is kind of different for other shows is that each character has a distinct um, background, if that makes sense. Like, I've seen this thing where um, characters who are quote-unquote racially ambiguous, and I say racially ambiguous because they're always just voiced by a white person, and that's the only time they are racially ambiguous. And then, you know, interpretations of them happen, and it can be anything, but it's like, I feel that um, not as much love is given to characters who are just straight up BIPOC, <laughs> like, from the, from the get-go. Um, that's just me. I'm like, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to see that kind of um, in different stories, but I did want to just emphasize, like, the reason we were comfortable with making specific visuals for these characters outside of just the podcast is that they do have an identity. There, you, you can't like. There, there's no racial ambiguity. They are all a specific background. There are many ways to interpret them as characters, but they're kind of set in stone in this way. And it's not to belittle the creativity or the you know wonderful like interpretations of uh, the fan base. But for me, it's kind of like this is how I kind of see representation in the audio space. Uh, that's a whole other thing. Anyway, like you, you, I think you get what I'm putting down, but yeah. It is a curious trend um, when it comes to representation in audio, but especially in this sort of ecosystem of like horror fiction that we've got. It is still rare to find a show that is run by someone who is not white uh, within like the horror sphere. Was there anyone else that you could... You mentioned the Magnus Archives as being kind of an introduction or an inspiration. Um, were there any other shows at the time uh, that were doing what you wanted to do with Ina? Um, Not necessarily what I wanted to do, but like, um, I mean, you mentioned Welcome to Night Vale. That was my first introduction to audio drama. And that was like way back, like um, when it at its peak. Um, and it didn't like it didn't jettison me into other audio dramas, but it did make me aware that it was a big thing that people cared about a lot. And I did get through like 160 episodes of Welcome to Night Vale before I realized there wasn't like going to be an overarching story. And I was like, that was that, that was my jam. So I kind of <laughs> fell off of it, but mm. it's still wonderful. It's just, you know, Wolf 359. I haven't been able to finish it, but I got through like a good solid three, se- like two and a half seasons love that Mm -hmm. quite a lot um and (laughs) this one's gonna be completely different from the other ones because one of the podcasts that is on season two now i think it just finished and i haven't finished season two yet but i will is a (laughs) so all of those you know oh that's the horror podcast space right uh the one that i'm listening to that i love deeply and i love the person who made it is a um a rom-com about a lawyer and an android <laughs> and it's called <laughs> and it's called um it's called life with leo um by atypical artists and um it is just this wonderfully i would say twee um very sweet um shenanigans type story between a high-powered uh <laughs> a black lady lawyer um, because the creator is also black, she's um, Octavia Bray, who is wonderful, and um, a an android who I will describe as literally just Connor from the Trent Become Human, but if he was a household android rather than a policeman, and 
I, I just like that's my that's that's the thing that I'm like, oh look at all these audio dramas that are of horror, and then this robot, this android romance. <laughs> Life with Leo first came to my attention when they were running the crowdfund uh, to start season two. Um, and one of the perks, I believe, was that you could go down to like California and go hang out with the crew uh, at the recording studio. Oh, I, 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 I definitely considered it for a bit before it was like, oh, you know what? I'm not sure the horror writer uh, income is going to justify a trip to California to go meet Octavia and Lordship and then all the voice actors there. Very but, much so. Oh man, what a what a cool journey that would have been. Would have been nice. And it would have and like I did get the thing that I did want, which is like a nice little message from Leo who said nice things and I'm like Excellent. Oh, my heart. <laughs> it's very cozy. It's it's a nice, very nice um podcast that I highly recommend for all the people who's not the audience of our podcast. Well maybe. I don't know. Some people come here for romance. I think this is one of the things that I'm happy to see in podcasting as well. And it's not that it's not that it hasn't existed before, but I feel like when a lot of new listeners, maybe it's just because it's the sphere I work in, but I feel like a lot of new listeners, when they enter audio drama, they enter horror audio drama. And the Welcome to Night Vale, uh, people could say it's, you know, the new surreal or the new weird. They could say it's surrealist. They could say it's horror. I've heard it described many ways, but like that's often an onboarding branch. The Magnus Archives is, I think, more frequently for possibly a slightly younger generation, a the big entry point that they had into audio fiction as well. And so I always enjoy when people start to branch out and find out, oh, wait, <laughs> this isn't just audio horror, although horror writers seem to love this uh, medium, but... You know, there are also rom-coms out there. Uh, Cry Havoc, which is a Roman sitcom just finished. Um, there are sci-fi shows. There's, you know, uh, a, a type of diversity within audio drama. And to some extent, I feel like people are still feeling out just what kind of stories you can do well in this space. Did you know that I'm going to make a horror podcast? Now I need to figure out what it's going to be about. Or did you start with the story and then find podcasting is the best hope for it? How did you know this was the right medium for this story? I think from the go, I knew I wanted to do something like the Magnus Archives, but also like not like it at all. It was kind of like, oh, I want to do a podcast that is like lo-fi um, monologue narrated, although I have also moved away from that as well. Well, not moved away, like diverted a little bit in some episodes and of course the style of just like having not necessarily monster of the week but like having more contained stories that contribute to the overarching plot I knew I wanted all of those things and I've had you know you always as a creator have a bunch of different ideas in your head at any given point and sometimes you'll pluck an idea from that little bag and you're like oh this will fit this medium and for me Hainai was like a small idea that grew into something a lot bigger, but it was the idea of a person who was very nonchalant by way of just, I've been through this song and dance before, <laughs> like um, I, I, with horror, because um, I always find those the funniest, like it's kind of funny in like a meta way, like having a character who just reacts to the most horrific supernatural craziness with 
yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah, no, I, I know about this. Like, as though you have done it, like, as a job and you kinda, it kind of, like, takes away the sheen. Um, I know a lot of people love the bureaucracy aspect of, of, of Magnus Archives, and I do know that I've kind of lost that in Hainai because it's more of a friend group rather than a, a whole operation. But I do find that I've replaced the bureaucracy aspect with a an expertise of a character who is not necessarily like shocked by all the horrible things she's seeing, um, and I that I find that personally very funny. It's like, um, and I, I I put a little bit of my own culture into that, um, which is that a lot of Filipinos kind of very. I don't know if it's like just a running gag between all of us or if we all actually believe it. It's never never clear. We've never it's never been clear. And I whenever we talk to each other, we kind of just like yeah, we understand that we just agree to the conceit, which is that every Filipino has a ghost story, and we kind of live with this. Um, supernatural realism where yeah this bathroom's haunted yes this school is haunted yes we know there's a white lady who not not a white lady a white lady (laughs) you know what i mean who haunts this who haunts this like um this intersection or we know that um this film center is haunted because of all the people who died there so it's like and we believe it or maybe we do or maybe we don't but either way, everyone agrees. Everyone kind of nods their head at like, yeah, we know how to do this. We've been given instruction how to avoid horrible supernatural things from happening because that's kind of just the culture. And so take that character, put it in a situation where you have a very North American kind of, oh, what's going on? Like, oh, what is this horrible thing? And then you have a main character who's kind of just like, oh, yeah, no, uh, it's a ghost. You got to get the ghost. But in a way that's not supernatural, the TV show. You know, in a way where it's not they're reading off of a book or whatever. It's just a lived experience. And I just thought that was funny and I've forgotten the question. So I just, I hope that answered it somehow. I thought this was something that really set the show apart uh, in its first episodes. Is that often the formula for not just audio horror, but many horror stories in general is that character is going about their normal life something spooky or evil happens and then they embark on a journey of learning that conveniently gets to the chapter about exorcisms right about in the third act when it's time to send the monster back to where it came from but you know they're frightened and shaking and trying their best to grapple with the magnitude of what this means for their life the whole time and if they don't then it's met with a certain amount of criticism or disbelief where it's like well if i was being haunted by a ghost i would leave i would i wouldn't stay in this haunted apartment you know if i was being uh shadowed by the the shadow demon um so i i i found it really kind of something different uh to have a character who reacts fairly calmly i think in these first episodes not out of the convenience of the plot uh, but because this is something this character has experience with already. And it's like, uh, this is a world that we're actually not witnessing uh, her first steps into it. Um, you know, this is her fourth or fifth step into it. In <laughs> episode 2.5, I think, um, Mary starts to discuss a little bit about her past and how she came into some of really like where the moment happened where she began to get introduced to this supernatural element of the world. Um, 
for your own self, did you also get shadowed by a ghost at some point and then, you know, require <laughs> a familial intervention? How did you get your introduction into this uh, folklore? Oh, the answer is yes, actually. Um, so this can be fun. Um, oh, but, but before I do, I just want to like kind of very quickly uh, I've said this in other in, in other um, interviews or at least like, you know, discussions of Hainai. One of the things I wanted to do with Hainai is have that in a lot of horror movies, a character is introduced that is the one who knows things. And for some reason, the one who knows things gets a very short scene and then leaves. And you're like, why? why? Like, why? Why did you send the firefighter away before the fire got put out? Like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> and it's like, why did you give the amateurs like the job that this person, and I know it's because it makes more interesting story. It lets people fail. And I get that, but it's also like, why did you send the expert away? Why did they only get a, a bit piece? What's going on? So I made her the protagonist. Uh, but in my, in my own life, uh, something that a lot of people probably have not experienced. I don't know. Um, I was four years old. The earliest time I ever have any memories. But I was four years old and I got cursed by a dwarf. Um, a, a, a magical dwarf, not like a person. <laughs> um, a, it's a, so it's a duende, um, which is a, a Filipino folklore. It's actually, sorry, it's a nuno. Nuno sapunso is a creature that literally just means... It's like ancestor who lives in a mound, I guess, or like an old person who lives in a mound. And it's like a dwarf type thing, like from folklore. Um, and the Nuno Sapunso lives in mounds and you are told to be respectful. Otherwise, you will get cursed in that way. So it's like they're not evil. They're just, um, but they aren't going to be good to you if you're not good to them. And it seems that we angered Anuno somehow. I don't know why. I was four. <laughs> we were children. Uh, sometimes it just happens. And um, we are, are, my brother got severely ill and they got the doctors in to help him. But, and then after they got the doctors in, they got the priest in. And then they got the, um, an albulario who is a medicine man in. I still have a very distinct memory of how this man looked like. I remember he looked like Santa Claus if he was skin and bones. Um, a man with a very big white beard. This is all real, by the way. I'm not making any of this up. This is my life. Um, very, very, like, wispy, long beard. But he wore, like, a loose shirt and basketball shorts and slippers. Um, very simple man. And he was the one who said that it was a Nuno that was haunting us, um and making my brother sick and he i remember he had like a little tool little metal tool uh looked like a spoon without a handle he put it on my tongue and i thought i, I thought he was cutting my tongue it hurt so much but it was just like you know it's a spoon thing so it doesn't hurt anything it's not even hot um but that's how he knew that we were cursed and so he started putting up these talismans all over the house, like paper things that you just stuck to the high part of the wall. And, um, and then my brother got better <laughs> after a while. And I remember this because those paper things stayed up until I was 16 years old. Like that's how they have just, they were in our house uh, all our lives until it got renovated. And so these are things that like actually happened. Like these are, I have more than one story like this where um, horrible, like weird supernatural things happened and i i'm of the mindset that 
yeah, it's real. I mean, I don't know how much of it is like exactly as we say it is, but these sorts of things, like this sort of like, again, magical realism, quote unquote, but just living with this superstition slash folklore, it's a very concrete thing um, in our lives. And I treat Hainai in the same way, where you have a character who perhaps way more explicitly than my own life, but like way more fantastically than my own life. But she has the same situation where she very nonchalantly is like, yeah, I, I met a horrible monster when I was a kid, or yeah, I experienced a haunting, and yeah, this is how we dealt with it, and it's a whole thing. I think one of the things that is really interesting about Hainai is that it juxtaposes the the folklore that you're familiar with and then sets that in kind of the sterile or maybe gritty urban jungle of Toronto. Does like that juxtaposition in the show mirror your own experiences, like kind of living in two worlds more or less, or uh, what, what made you decide that you wanted to set the show in this place and kind of play with those two elements at the same time? It has kind of reflected my experience because when I started it, Toronto was not scary to me at all, at all, not, not in any way, shape or form. Um, as time has gone on, I can see the potential of what can be scary in Toronto, but like having come from a the 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 most the de- most densely populated city in the entire world um Toronto is a walk in the park <laughs> but Toronto is a very peaceful and quiet city um for me <laughs> which I'm sure many Canadians will be like well, what what are you talking about I wanted to experience Toronto as I told the story I didn't properly experience it until like 2022 because pandemic and now I see why it's a city city. But back then it was a lot quieter. But there's a lot of parts of Toronto that are so interesting, like historically, and they keep a lot of very good historical documents. And that's why the story has kind of delved deeper into Toronto history, um, because I feel as though of the many cities of Canada, other than Montreal with the mafia that it had, Toronto is very, is like probably the most interesting city um, in terms of just a dark history, I guess you could say, or at least parts of a dark history, you know, here and there. And I think it also reflects in Hainai, where the character is very much very confident in her ability and just doing whatever and not very scared at all, to getting a bit more scared as time goes on, because she's starting to see what horror actually can lie in in parts of this, like, uh, in the city and in as she learns more. So that's kind of like how the trajectory of the story has gone. Um, And also just learning about really fun horror stories Toronto has. They have ghost walks. They have fun stuff like that. And sometimes I, (laughs) one time there was a post somebody tagged Hainai in, which I loved so much. And it was literally just an elevator was found uh, covered in blood in Toronto. Uh, It was a real thing. It was a real news report. In a, in a condo building and we were just like yeah no that sounds about right i was like yeah that's that's a great that's a wonderful just like environmental storytelling but it's also a real uh, article <laughs> about a condo in toronto so yeah it, it's like toronto is actually getting scarier as time goes on but in a way where i, I kind of love it like i i love seeing the deeper parts of the city and it doesn't scare me the way it scares other let's say Canadians who come from like I guess quieter much more peaceful areas it's just it's it's scary in a way that makes the story more fun 
I would say. In addition to writing about Filipino folklore uh, through Hainai, you mentioned that it's in an avenue to write about queerness as well and have, you know, queer characters as part of the narrative. And has the story like allowed you to talk about or say anything that, uh, you know, you kind of wanted to explore? Oh, yes. Um, uh, I just went in with a lot of my stories nowadays, I just go in being like, assume they're all queer unless stated otherwise. Like, all these characters are queer. Um, we will probably tell you if somebody's cis het, and we, but just assume they're all queer and different, you know, different flavors, different, like, there's no need for not having queer characters. <laughs> it sounds so mean, but it's like, it's whatever, like, the, if that's how mainstream is going to be, I will absolutely at some point work on a thing where there have to be cis-het characters. So I don't need to make that happen in the things that I am working on personally. Like, I have no responsibility to do that. <laughs> and, I, and I and I certainly do not care to. <laughs> so it's like, you know, for mainstream stuff that I get to work on, I will be like, yeah, there will be cis-het characters there. But for everything else, especially these sorts of passion projects where I get to kind of have almost full creative freedom, um, almost because I have a wonderful co-creator who, despite having a very a much more muted presence, she, she is so wonderful because sometimes she will ask me a question that will make me stop and like look at what, like stop from like barreling into a wall. Um, but yeah, but for the most part, like just having queer characters all over, good, bad, uh, everything in between. It's been fun. It's been, and I, we had a discussion about this with some of our listeners. We were like, oh no, like the non-binary character that you have is kind of a bad guy. And I was like, but we also like we, but look, we ha- like we have other non-binary characters too. Like that's not how we think of non-binary characters. That's another benefit to it, where it's like you don't tokenize because if every character is is a queer, then you don't just have bad queer representation. You have it's all <laughs> we are all queer, good and bad and middle. I think this is something that's really brought a a big queer demographic into audio fiction. Is that like, oh, I'm not necessarily seeing the representation that I want in my favorite TV shows right now or in Hollywood, but I can find it through this niche online medium where writers uh, are like telling a story, putting these out to the world. And like, they're very from the heart and very authentic in that way where we didn't have to go through a huge board of directors or didn't have to get something approved by management in order to put these stories out there. At least for the good first portion of Hell Up in the Hallowoods, um, you know, I, I was creating the show on the weekly basis, but also juggling a full-time marketing job at the same time. How have you found it to try and all of the writing, a majority of the voice acting, and at the same time juggle, you know, your other obligations in life outside of the show? Ooh, um, it taught me the very good lesson that did not fit into um, what I was doing, which is you should end your workday at five. Um, and then as soon as the workday was ended, I continued working, but for a different thing. <laughs> but, uh, um, I think the best way I was able to do it while I was actively working, I'm unemployed right now, but while I was actively working is um, at the end of the day, 
I made a habit of going out so I could go out because I work from home and it was horrible to just stay inside for the whole time. When I would go out, my favorite thing to do is just go to a cafe. And so that works out because as soon as I sit in the cafe, have my funny little drink and start typing. And I would do that for a couple of hours and then come back home. And that's my whole day, every day during my work week. Um, and I like, I, I think a lot of it is because I enjoy doing the work for Hainai, even if it is literally work. Um, and the recording stuff happened on the weekends or the nights where I could get people to record in Zoom call. Uh, so just do, like, I guess because I focused on Hainai more than anything else is how I got it to do it. I, I'm not very good at um, time management. I will say that. It's very funny when people like you, like you mentioned in your own experience, reach out and they're like, "Hey, thank you so much to the whole Hallowoods team, and you know, I love the story so much. And you know, could I, could I uh, be an intern or like learn how how it all works?" <laughs> it's like, uh, thank you. Yes, it is actually just me wearing many different hats. It's me the whole time. <laughs> it's it's that it's that guy who's like, oh, um, tell the manager that I disapprove your. Yes, I have spoken to the manager, me, and I have decided that I am not getting fired. <laughs> it's uh, and yeah, I, I am amazed by people who do it on their own. But at the same time, I do think that is, it's almost like, you kind of have to do it on your own for a lot of it. Um, unless you're very lucky like me, because if you get people who aren't just buddies who are helping you out, you are getting people, professionals who you have to pay for and make sure that it's like worth their time. And if they're not volunteering their time, then you will just have somebody who is not being paid and you don't have the money unless, unless you've already started. So it's like, it's a difficult thing to kind of just get a team together unless people are very much backing you like a venture capitalist like who was very interested in your story i also got very lucky i think one of the things that we kind of advertise but overall and a lot of one of the things that we get highlighted for is that we have a very diverse cast and yeah our main cast is very diverse and a lot of people kind of want to get a diverse cast you know as kind of like a conscious thing um, our diverse cast is just because they're all my friends. It just so happened that we are all of different cultural backgrounds because that is the kind of circle, those are the kind of circles that I run in. And so now we have a not by design, completely by accident, very diverse podcast. And a lot of people like kind of want to replicate that, but it's like, you don't replicate it. Just, you know, like you, you can do your due diligence and, you know, highlight and kind of like work with collaborate with and highlight people who are of many diverse backgrounds but ultimately you can't just make that happen it's a lot of luck you meet people you make friends that's the biggest thing if you want to do this make friends because he cool people um will work with you if you are cool to them otherwise you need money <laughs> and i think this is something that new podcasts are Kind of anxious about sometimes it's like oh i want to do a show but i don't want to just be like one more you know white creator whose white buddies are also doing all the other parts like you know saturating a space you know how can i like bridge the gap there while still telling these stories and so i, I do see at least a lot of intention behind casting calls lately for various shows and projects I think the best thing you can do 
is again like make connections um make connections in in your field outside your field try to widen your like try to make friends you don't have to talk to them every single day or whatever but you gotta you know reach out and be kind and connect to them on some level and like maybe a year ago or two years ago i was looking for um indigenous actors for hainai because the one thing is that i don't know very many like indigenous canadians because i literally just moved here in 2018 so it's like i don't know that many and i was looking and i got nothing <laughs> and i was like uh th- th- and then i just kind of like let it sit and then now i talk to people um i've just naturally in my own life i have met people who are indigenous in um semi-creative spaces and ask them you want to be on a podcast and they're like yeah and it sometimes you know um you can you can I, i won't say you can't force it but you got you know you gotta like why you gotta talk to people if you want people to work on the thing that you're working on you know <laughs> what have been some of the reactions that you've enjoyed from uh listeners of high night has this show surprised you with like what kind of people it resonated with absolutely it has um some of our um fans have been around for a little while already and like are very vocal because we have a discord server some of my favorite people um have stuck around have really stuck around and kind of like just been chatting and enjoying things and i think my favorite person um is actually our co we call we call them our co-producer our co-producer Jesse Goodsell um who is wonderful and we call them our co-producer because they they took our highest tier in our last fundraiser and and part of that is becoming our co-producer so our co-producer Jesse Goodsell we met them we they were already one of our favorite people long before they gave us money <laughs> um but long before they gave us money we already loved them they did not have to do it but they did they made a murder board for hainai and that that was my hap- like one of the happiest days of my life like um finding out that somebody had made a full on like um conspiracy theory like murder board to be like i can see the connections i know i i have theories and like they would talk about their theories to us because we have like an overarching mystery for Hainai and I I love them so much like obviously I got to shout out the people who actually financially support us because oh my god that's crazy I um it is beyond what I expect but like even those small things like and I won't say small those those non-financial things that are very 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 big in our hearts we we got one fan fiction on AO3 and that was also one of the best days of my life like oh my god um an AO3 fan fiction for Hainai it exists now and I'm very happy. Uh so I would say all of them <laughs> all of them William all of them are my favorite. Um but any any like anything where somebody felt felt compelled to make something because of Hainai amazing. Um love it. Love it so much. I cry. <laughs> yeah. And people ask frequently when you're in audio fiction in this sphere like oh you know I can't afford to join the Patreon right now but you know I wish I could I would love to support you you know I'd love to show it it's like there are many ways to support a show obviously 
you know, there, there was a Tumblr post floating around that was like, I wish the days were still there when an artist could live on the lawn of a wealthy patron in a little hut and just get sponsored to, you know, create art all day. And to some extent, we've kind of crowdfunded it through <laughs> Patreon and other, other like, so, you know, it's the collective one of like, there. <laughs> uh, a number of people on the internet that we live on instead, very gratefully make our, our writing and our shows. Um, but on top of that, he can't afford, afford to, for whatever reason, you know, live in the mansion and have us in your lawn hut, then you can talk about the show online. You can share it with friends. You can make art or make fan fiction or see if there's a fan wiki that's out there and edit it if there is and make one if there isn't. Um, you can do literally any little thing at this level gets noticed by the creators and gets appreciated so much. Um, but it also does the most important thing, which is sharing it with other people. It's very true. And also like I, I contend to this day, like I remember when the fundraiser for the Magnus protocol came out and within six hours, they got 3000% of their budget um, of their fundraising goal. I contend that never would have happened if not for the fan base that was not paying for anything, simply listening, talking about it, making fan fiction, making fan art, none of that would have happened without that fan base. So it's not like if you cannot support somebody financially, um, that's that's literally like not even a thing. Like people, some people have the money, some people don't. It's fine. If you talk about it, if you keep hyping it up, it's like the biggest thing. And Two of our, because um, I, I know our Discord people, I know our fans by name, um, because I'm still we're still at that point where we have we are able to like have these discussions. Um, two of them, my favorite people, they don't they they don't have the ability to support us financially, but I still love them. They still like get to name characters in the show. They still get to give ideas that like I sometimes will use in the show because they're just always chatting. They're always there. They're always talking to us and about the show and just I've named characters after them because that's they are so important um you can be so important like I I 100% appreciate all the financial support but like you can be so important without giving a cent and that's fine you know I think love for a show is a really contagious thing and when you put it out there that like, oh, you know, this show has me by the throat right now. I really enjoy these characters. And here's these characters from an audio only medium that, you know, I I and about 10 other people listen to. But, you know, I'm obsessed with this. Like, I think that is what that, that spreads that that shows other people hey, this is something that you should go listen to and enjoy with me. Yeah, it, that's how I discovered the Magnus Archives, literally just ship art going on my feed and being like, oh, look, this is very cute. It's an, one angry guy and one uh, sunshiny guy. And then, you know, tail is all the time. <laughs> and, oh, and oh, they're canon? Gasp, canon queer characters? It's It's as simple as that, as simple as like just the love of another um, creator and you never know like if you cannot um, pay for things which a lot of people cannot and that is totally fair you don't know how powerful you are when you talk about something and then it gets to the ears of like five other people who can pay for things you are basically paying for things that way <laughs> so don't worry like you know it's not it's your your value is not like monetary 
Um, and if we could all make our thing without having to get money, we would. We can't. We live in society. We live in capitalism. But um, all that being said, like it all, it all comes to the same place, which is appreciation, love, support for the podcast that you love, and it's great. When it comes to the storytelling for Hainai, what do you want your listeners to walk away from uh, after listening, or kind of carry with them uh, once you know their time with the show is over? Ooh, um. I, that's a good one. Um, I want people who listen to Hainai to kind of get what's being said under the surface. One of the main things about Hainai is that I make a joke about it, but it's true, which is that none of the horrors of Hainai um, match up to the horror of being Filipino, um, which is <laughs> the whole thesis of Hainai. It is that this character um, who is facing down these awful supernatural horrors quite nonchalantly um is like has experienced things that are far worse in her life that are real um to a lot of filipinos and so like the horrors she faces down are almost like an escape for her like she's like wow look at this horrible like ghost look at this horrible creature look at it's all and that's kind of like a thing that a lot of Filipinos do. We love horror stories because weirdly enough, it is a comfort in comparison to what life is. Um, and it's a weird way to look at it. But basically what it comes down to is that I hope people who listen to Hainai have a wider sense of empathy for um, what this means to a lot of other people, what the story is trying to communicate. And at the end of Hainai, we started this in May 2022, we do a segment called the crimes of the Marcuses, which has nothing to do with the Hainai. It's just literally us highlighting horrible things that the Marcus um, uh, administration has done. Um, we do that. And like right before the, like right before the credits roll. Um, and we try to use that for other important issues as well when we can um, most recently to help talk about the ceasefire and everything. Um, so we try to do that as well. Um, I love a nice, good story, and I love a fun little romp, and I love creepy little stories, but we all live in the world, and I think that respecting the fact that a lot of people come here for escapism, um, I think with Hainai, you also have to learn that just because we respect this escapism and the story doesn't mean you are suddenly given the... Um, you're suddenly allowed to ignore what's happening in the world. So we want to give you a fun little story, but please be aware of the real, you know, the real, real life and the real world. And kind of, if you love what we're doing, then be kind, be compassionate. And we try to tell a compassionate story, but ultimately we tell it from our experiences. A late night passenger on a Toronto subway car finds that it suddenly screeches to a halt. The lights flicker and go out, leaving them alone with muttered whispers in a dark tunnel deep beneath the city. The red emergency lights flicker on, and there outside the window, set into the grimy tiles that line the subway walls is the skull of Matsita Kuo. 
What words of wisdom would you whisper in the darkness? My words of wisdom are always do stretches if you have a uh, a sitting down job, but also <laughs> um, uh, I <laughs> I will say if you want to play in the space of fiction, um, then understand that it is a very freeing space. Um, you shouldn't be afraid to tackle a story just because um, you don't think it's quote-unquote morally right because fiction is where we are able to explore and empathize with other people and while you should absolutely be kind be compassionate be empathetic um, don't turn that into fear Turn that into an openness to explore more stories and more ideas than you ever could have imagined. Because all of those things are not meant to be limiting things. Do not turn your kindness into a need to police others. Do not turn your compassion into just being angry all the time. Be creative by creating something rather than destroying or limiting it. And that is my advice to people in the creative space. That is utterly beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been so lovely to talk to you and get to know a little bit more about Hainai and also the uh, wonderful creator behind the show. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful to meet you. Um, this has been, a, I, I would talk like this all day. I absolutely would. Matsu Dapul is writer, voice, and co-creator of the fiction podcast High Nye, a supernatural horror story following Mary, whose childhood spent learning how to deal with spirits in the Philippines enables her to fight a rising threat within the streets of Toronto. You can find the show at HainaiPod.com or on social media at at HainaiPod, or follow Matsi on social media at at MatsiD. Hello from Mahalowood is produced by William A. Wellman. That's me. For first access to new Skull Sessions with other voices in the horror podcasting space, look to the Hallowoods Patreon at patreon.com slash Hallowoods.